When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package. With great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. It's another one of our former player interviews here on the Blue Room Extra. Myself and Dave Downey in the studio in Liverpool. I'm delighted to say... Joining us on the phone now is Landon Donovan, former USMNT international and former Everton player. Landon, thanks very much for joining us. I heard that accent in a while, so it's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say, can you say that again? Because I, I couldn't understand it. I thought, oh no, this is going to go well. But um, no, f- thanks very much for, for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. It's, uh, it's 6am where you are now, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And actually, on, on that point, there were quite a few times when I was at Everton, um, and Moyes would say something in a meeting, and I'd have to look at Tim Howard. <laughs> what the hell did he just say? Yeah. The, the Scottish a translator for English. The Scottish accent's a little bit worse than ours to understand yeah, London, I mean, isn't I, it? I never thought, like speaking English, I would need a translation for English, but um, <laughs> I guess Scottish is not English. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, no, it's much worse. <laughs> yeah, me, me, myself and Dave, will, um, we'll, we'll try and talk a little bit slower than usual, and, and we'll work, work through this. We'll work this one uh, through together. Um, but just before we we get into speaking about your time at Everton, um, for anyone who has not necessarily followed your progress since you you left English football, um, what are you up to these days in regards to your involvement in football? Uh, well. Off the football field, um, I've got three little kids, which I didn't have when I was at Everton, so that takes up majority of my time now. Um, I live in San Diego, and for almost two years, I worked with a group to try to bring a Major League Soccer team to San Diego. Um, doesn't work quite like it does in in England or in other parts of the world, um, so it's a, a bit more of a difficult process to make happen. It didn't work, unfortunately, but um, I've still involved in 
the soccer world here in the U.S. and in San Diego and figuring out what my next steps will be. I mean, let's look back at you. Start to look back at your career then, and you know, you go back to your time at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, I, I found that really relatively interesting that you sort of started your career over there in Germany. Um, what were the, what were the challenges for you um, early on when, when you went to play in Germany as, as somebody who's new to the culture, new to the league? I mean, and I imagine that the style of football is very different to what you're used to as well. No question. There there were a few challenges. One is I grew up in Southern California, so I saw the sun most of the time. Um, <laughs> and in Germany and certainly in England, that wasn't the case. Um, so that, that made it difficult from from the onset. Um, culturally, as, as most people know, that Germans are can be tough and can be pretty regimented. And I grew up more... Um, in a more liberal lifestyle in in Southern California, so I had to make a lot of adjustments there. But on the on the field, I had the opportunity to learn in a way I never did. I didn't grow up in an academy the way you know kids grow up in the Everton Academy, for example. I just grew up playing with a club soccer team with you know coaches who didn't really know what they were doing. So have the having the ability to move to a place like that and really learn about football and how it works and um, learning technique on things and starting to learn the tactical side was really, really valuable for me. So then obviously you you made seven appearances in the uh, the Bayer Leverkusen first team, got some time back at, at San Jose, Earthquakes on loan there and, and excelled. And, you know, I think I think everybody's well aware of, of your record at LA, LA Galaxy and, and how well you did there. When the opportunity came to to move to Bayern Munich in that temporary loan spell in a year before you, you went to Everton, what what was your mindset going into that? Well, it was really exciting, right? I mean, it's one of the best clubs mm. in the world, and Jurgen Klinsmann was there, and he had lived in Southern California for a long time and been to Galaxy games, um, knew me well through the national team, so he really made it happen, um, and I was much more comfortable at that point in Germany than the first time I had gone over. And I wasn't quite ready um, for what that was. I, I had a few good moments. I had a really good preseason with the team. Um, I had a few good, good moments in games, but I didn't really excel in the way I was hoping I would. So it was a, it was a good experience, but I didn't get everything I wanted out of it the way I would later at Everton. Landon, when you move to somewhere like Germany and, and then play in the Premier League, which we're going to talk about a, li- a little bit in a second, um, you know, a lot a lot is made over in our country about the standards of the football. I, I think a lot of people in our country get very precious about the standard of the Premier League and it being the greatest league in the world. Um, you've you've experienced football on you know in in a few countries. Um, you know, the MLS is, is something that's constantly under the microscope with, with big names going over there, which tends to be towards the end of the career, certainly from Europe anyway, if you think of Pirlo and, and Kaka and players like that. How would you compare the standards between what you see in the MLS compared to, to the big leagues in Europe? Is there a golfing class, would you say, or is that gap definitely getting closer? Well, there's no question it's getting closer. Uh, it, in the end, it just comes down to resources, right? Mm-hmm. So. When you look at any squad, a squad like Everton, where you know I haven't done the math, but the value, just the pure value of the players, is in the hundreds of millions of pounds, and the pure value of any MLS squad is 
significantly less than 100 million pounds, right? So mm-hmm. that's there's no way around that. You can't make up for that, right? So, but the as far as infrastructure, uh, training facilities, stadiums. Now we've got fan bases that are that are similar to what you see in England um, and around the world. That's where the progress is being made. And as they keep spending more money on players, the the product will get better and better. And just by way of example, the LA Galaxy. Um, with a big portion of that going to, to Ibrahimovic, probably spend in the 12 to 15 million pound range on their player salaries. And clubs in, in England and around the world are, again, spending hundreds of millions of pounds. Mm. So that's going to tell you the quality right away. But it has gotten a lot better. Um, everything besides the player salaries, uh, has gotten tremendously better, and so it's just a matter of time. But there's no question there's still there's still a golfing class between the two leagues. Does does that salary cap, if you like, does does that need to change? Do you think in, in order for the teams to kick on to the next level? And if so, do you believe that that's sort of the right thing to do? Um, and obviously, there, there'll be questions about how much money goes into football and how much players get these days. Certainly in England, would would you like to see that, or would you like to see the MLS go in a different direction? Well, for a long time, MLS had to keep a cap on the spending because you didn't want an owner to come in and and spend five times another owner, and then all of a sudden that owner feels like the only way they can compete is to spend more money, and then all of a sudden the league folds because there's there's too much money being lost. So um, I think we're at a point now where the training wheels have to come off and let people make decisions. There's enough revenue being generated where you can justify spending whatever you want to spend. Some clubs are, you know, there's a club in Atlanta that's, that consistently bring in 55 or 60,000 people and to their games. And so they can justify spending a lot more money on players. They don't need a salary cap. They know what they're, they know what mm-hmm. they're doing and they can spend the money the way they want. So I think at some point soon here, it will start to move in that direction so that we can truly compete with with clubs around the world. Uh, Landon, in in 2009, you had one of the the best individual goal-scoring seasons of your career with the Galaxy, uh, 12 goals in 25 MLS matches. And at the end of the year, you moved on your your loan to to Everton. Um, What what was the first time you you realised that that Everton were interested in you? And, And who was it you spoke to first at the club about the possible move? Yeah, it was Tim. Uh, Tim Howard. So er, I believe earlier that year, I'm not sure if it was that year or the year before we played Everton in the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Um, they came over to America and played in the All-Star game. And Tim had always spoken really highly of the club and particularly of David Moyes. So he reached out um, and let me know that they were interested. Uh, he said, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but Moyes is probably going to reach out to you at some point. And it was really intriguing. I mean, the the thought for any young player, and especially in this country, um, the idea of playing in the Premier League is is second to none. So it was a really exciting phone call to get. Uh, I didn't know what was going to come from it, but um, that was sort of the start of, of what would come next. Were there any reservations on your part about making the move? Because 
Obviously, he had the time at Bayern Munich the year before, and and only made seven appearances for the club. Like I said earlier, you've been having a, a fantastic run of form in Major League Soccer as well. It was another party that just thought, I've done the European adventure now, it's all about cementing my status as a Galaxy legend and, and helping them go on to, to win another MLS Cup. Because I don't, I don't think they'd, I think the last time they won it before on them, it was 2005. Right. No, there, there absolutely was. And what pushed me over the edge was a few things. Having Tim there was such a, a massive help to know that I was going to have somebody there who understood it, who could help me um, from the onset. And then learning about Moyes and how he went about signing players really made me feel good. Tim, Tim told me that because of the salary constraints or the budget constraints that Everton had compared to the rest of the league, Moyes was really, really particular in who he signed. And in someone like me, who was only coming for a few months, he said that Moyes would have talked to many, many people about me, scouted me mm. many, many times before he even made uh, uh, an inquiry as to see if that was possible. So that made me feel that he believed in me and was going to give me a chance. And in the end, again, to, to have the opportunity to play in the Premier League, and especially for a club like Everton, that's too good to turn down. So all those all those factors combined made it. It, it sounds while. I mean, it, it sounds like Moyes had a, a profound effect on on yourself, as we hear with so many players. I mean, he was at the football club for eleven years. He, he's obviously had a, an impact on many people's lives. Um, for for yourself, what was what was the relationship like when you when you first met met him? Because various former players we've spoken to recently, um, they've said sometimes he could be somebody who was, he wasn't really approachable and he was quite sort of a private man and it was just a working relationship. He wasn't somebody who you'd go for a beer with after training or anything like that. What was it What was it like for yourself? For me, it, it, there was such a level of, I hope, mutual respect because, and it, it, it happened in the first week I was there. I came in in, I came in, I think it was January 3rd I landed. I went straight to Goodison to watch an FA Cup match. And the reception I had from the fans, the uh, the stadium, staff, the players, um, made me feel so welcome from the minute I walked in the stadium. And then speaking with Moyes, how open he was, he brought me in the locker room, introduced me to the guys. Um, But more than that, the first I was there on the third, and I believe we had a game maybe on on the weekend, on the eighth or ninth or something, and that was away at Arsenal. Mm -hmm. And so I I, I literally trained three times. I had been in my off-season. I had been training and working out at home, but I trained three times with the club. And when we went to London on the Friday night before the Saturday game, he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about – starting you in the match tomorrow um, I'm not sure on it I'm gonna sleep on it but I just want you to be prepared and I remember thinking to myself is this guy fucking crazy I've <laughs> <laughs> been in my off season and I've only trained three times but I'm the I'm the type of person um, just based on the way I grew up I'm extremely loyal and when someone shows that kind of faith I want to repay it and so um, it, he, he ended up starting me he put me in the in the game and I think it went pretty well, yeah. and um, I, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I was always repaying him because that was such a big leap of faith he took. I mean, well, all the people we spoke to about Moise who played under him, Landon, have, 
I think we, we've had, we've had different accounts on him, but I think we spoke to, to Julian Lescott recently, and he said that there were times where it got very heated between himself and, and David Moyes in the dressing room. I think he he had a bit of a reputation for for not holding back at times when the, when the team needed a bit of a rollick. And did you ever see that side of him? I did. I, I saw it a few times, um, and it, it was new for me because I had played for so many years for coaches who were not that way or who I knew well. <laughs> mm. So they very, very rarely went that way on, on the team. Uh, one of one of, one of the times I remember very clearly, um, Feli, uh, Fellaini, Marlon Fellaini, mm. uh, during the first half, uh, during one of the games, uh, something had happened and he, he made a pass and someone didn't make the run he wanted or something, and he threw his hands up and uh, sort of showed up the player. And so we watched film later the, the next week, and he stopped it, and he showed that play, and he said he just looked at Feli, and, and he really raised his voice, and he said, Feli, you're way too important to this team to do shit like that. Hmm. And you can't you can't be doing that to players, and that's different than going off in the locker room. But that was a moment where I thought, wow, you know, Feli was our best player at the time, and he just he just made sure he knew what his place was, and he made it very clear to him that that was not going to happen. Uh, the other time was <clears throat> uh, James Vaughn was in the locker room, and it was a uh, it was actually before the match, and we had been on a good run of, of form, and so. I think the team was feeling a little good about itself. And uh, Moyes was speaking, and I think Vani and someone else kind of were looked at each other and were like laughing or giggling about something, and he just lost it. <laughs> Do you two want to be here? If you don't want to be here, get the fuck out of here. I don't want you to think this is funny, and, and kind of went off on them. And, and he just had a way about being really mm. – clever in when he did those things and how he did it so the whole group would pay attention and um, I was always really impressed by that. Yeah, I mean it, it sounds as though he had the measure of when to, to sort of unleash on players like that and you, you know like you, you mentioned in regards to the your debut and that, and that sort of thing that you knew when to back players and knew when to, to make them feel good and you said about your debut there in that game against Arsenal it was absolutely horrendous conditions um, down in London four days like you said, their training against the really good Arsenal side. I mean, that that must have been some introduction to to life to Premier League football for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love playing in weather like that. I always have. Um, I didn't grow up with it, so like having the the few times a year where it would <laughs> rain in Southern California, we would love it. We'd go outside and run around and play. When you go into a match like that as well, was it was it everything that you thought the Premier League would be? I mean, this, this is one of the traditional stadiums, one of the, the big yeah. teams in England. Yeah, no question. I mean, anybody playing at the Emirates against Arsenal for their their debut Premier League match is going to be pretty excited, right? So there's no question I was going to run a lot that day and be energetic. Um, but I, I, I was glad that I could contribute. Um, I, I think I assisted on, yeah. on Ozzy's goal and Leon Osman's goal, and um, I thought it played pretty well and, and we got a decent result we actually should have won the game but we got a good result with the, the draw away so it was a great start you endeared yourself to the fans really really quickly uh it's something that i think me and matt both fondly remembered at the time because you know i think it's really difficult we've seen players from the mls come over on these really short-term loans and, and it's not necessarily worked out so quickly um 
maybe that was in Moise's mind that day when he decided to start you when mm. maybe he thought I haven't got you for long so I need to get you yeah. into the team straight away but um and, and I know it's a little bit cliche and, and and you'll you'll get a lot of this from from the galaxy fans but did did you find something particularly warming about the the Everton fan experience and them taking you to their hearts straight away you know the day I showed up I remember I had um it was for me it was freezing cold. it was probably like mm. 10 degrees it probably wasn't that bad for you guys but I was freezing <laughs> so the day I showed up it was warm for us yeah <laughs> yeah exactly that's an English summer yeah. um when I showed up I had a beanie on like a, a knit cap on and so I was purposely trying to be a little under the radar because it was game day I didn't want to draw any attention I didn't want to but everybody in the stadium said hello, welcome, Landon. It's great to have you here, and that was that was just so special for me because I I, I wouldn't have ever imagined receiving a welcome like that. So to have that happen immediately endeared me to the fan base, and then there was a moment that was really profound early on, and it was. I was it was it was my first week of training as well and I was in the locker room I think I was upstairs eating and one of the youth coaches um I don't know why I'm I'm drawing a blank on his name right now but one of the older coaches who had been around forever he stopped me in the hallway and he said Landon it's great to have you here and I just want to tell you one thing he said it doesn't matter if you score goals if you assist on goals, if you play well, if you um, have good performances in, in technically in the way you do things, he said, if you run and give effort in every game, the fans here will love you. And it, that stuck with me. That stuck with me every time I walked onto the field because it was true. Hmm. If you just put in the effort and the energy and you ran and you fought and you tackled – the fans appreciated it and mm-hmm. they didn't care if you if you mistrapped a ball or if you made a bad pass or you missed a shot they just wanted to see that and that stuck with me every time I stepped on the field mm-hmm. in that first spell landing um like you said there you got an assist in the, your debut against Arsenal uh, scored your first goal against Sunderland and helped the team to a really good win over Manchester City as well I think that was the, the game where Marouan Fellaini was doing pirouettes around there uh, Craig Bellamy so maybe listen to some of David Moyes advice there um and you signed off your spell with a goal against Hull um, in March as well. And I remember that game really vividly because not only did the team play fantastically well, Mikel Arteta scored a couple of really nice goals that day, but there was such a huge ovation for yourself at the end of the game and almost a, a bit of sadness, especially from, from where I sit in the Gladys Street, that there was going to be the end of this spell and it's going to come to, to an end so soon. I imagine you must have had such mixed emotions walking off the pitch that day. I was really, I was really sad, actually, to be honest. And it was hard for me because not everybody knew this, but the the that week leading up to that final match, uh, Moyes brought me in his office and he said, "Listen, I understand. Actually, let me take you a step back. So before I signed, um, the Galaxy by no means had to let me go to Everton. It was." completely at their discretion. I was under contract there. So I I asked them if they would allow me to go on loan for three months. And they said, the only way we can allow you to go is if you give us your word that you're definitely coming back. (laughs) And and in in football, you never know. Things change all the time. But, 
you know, I'm a man of my word and I, and I try to honor that. So the week of the final game, that final whole game, um, Moyes brought me in and he said, listen, I know the understanding. I know that you are meant to go back, but I have to just in good conscience, I have to ask you, you know, do you want to stay? We would happily make it work. Uh, if you want to stay and if you still want to be here. And it was really hard for me because, of course, I wanted to stay. <laughs> Why would mm. I not want to stay? Mm. It, was, it was some of the best times of my life um, as a football player. Um, so I, I told him I would sit with it and I needed to think about it. Um, but in the end, I had, to, I had to be true to my word and I just didn't think it was fair. I think if I really pushed it, the galaxy would have done the right thing and would have made it work. But I, I felt like it was the right thing to do to go back. But that was, that was very difficult for me because I, I had really, I mean, I don't want to, again, you don't want to be cliche, but I had really fallen in love with the club mm. and it was, it was hard for me. It was hard for me to leave. I mean, we were, we were desperate at the time. I remember at the time you, you sort of, Without trying to get, without trying to get to speak too lovingly, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we thought at the time, I think to a man that this just felt like a glove fit for, for Everton yeah. and for yourself at the time. Um, and again, you you talk about shock. I think our sort of preconceptions were we we didn't really know what we were getting. We knew your reputation in the MLS. We knew your reputation as as a superstar over in America. Um, we didn't know how that would translate when you come to the club and. You know, you, you talk about such simple things like the weather and things like that. I suppose what was in my mind at the time was he's just going to hate it. He's just going to hate <laughs> it here because he's, he's come from this really sunny part of the world where it's, where it's gorgeous. You can go to the beach every day. You've got this fantastic lifestyle. And then you, you come to Liverpool and Merseyside. I mean, we, we absolutely love our own city, don't get me wrong. But it's a, it is a massive difference to what you're used to. And then to also just hit the, just to hit the ground running like you did as well. It was like it, it didn't. It felt like something that didn't seem possible at the time, and that, that's why we, we were devastated as a fan base to sort of let you go. And th- did it play on your mind afterwards whether it was a, the right decision or is it something that oh, you dwelled constantly. on quite a bit? No, constantly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> part of me wanting to go was I wanted to know myself if I was able and capable of playing at that level and not one or two games because, you know, we would play national team games and I knew I could compete at that level, but could you do it for 10 or 20 or 30 games in a row? Mm. And I think in that spell, I think I played 13 games and candidly by, by the end, I was pretty exhausted because it's, it's a difficult league to play in. And that was only 13 games, but I felt like I had proven that to myself. But to your point earlier, I mean, Yes, the weather's not Southern California. Um, the food definitely took some getting used to at times. <laughs> but it tells you a lot about uh, human beings and how interacting and having good interactions and good moments with human beings can trump all of that because I didn't, that didn't occur to me. I didn't even think about the weather. I didn't, um, didn't think about what I missed back home. I was just... I was so happy to be in an environment where I felt accepted and wanted and I felt like I was contributing and there was a great culture in the locker room that made it really enjoyable to be at but also demanded a lot of accountability and responsibility to 
to do your job. And I just, I, I really did. I felt the glove fit is a great analogy to use. It just felt like I was at home mm. and, and I really felt comfortable there. What did you think of Liverpool as, as a city land? And did you, did you sort of, I mean, I don't know where you were based when you were over here, whether you were at your city centre or a little bit outside, but did you, were you happy to go walking around? And what did you think of the people? And you said there about the food getting used to. Did you, did you really enjoy being in and around Liverpool as a city? So I actually lived in Manchester. I knew okay. it. I knew it. I said this before we spoke to yeah. you. <laughs> uh, yeah, the guys got a hold of me before I made my. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now they they did say that if you are going to live in Liverpool, you just you've got to be careful because not in a dangerous way, mm. but everywhere you go, people are going to be either yeah. um, harassing you if they're the red side of Liverpool or they're going to be asking you a hundred questions about the last game and how great you were if they're on the blue side of yeah. Liverpool. So. So they, they, they did say that. But I spent a little time there when my family would come in. We'd go into Liverpool. Um, and I thought it was beautiful. I actually, at, at a certain point, I was thinking to myself, why didn't I just live here? Because it's a lot closer, and and there are parts that were that were really enjoyable to be. But I did love Manchester. It was nice, actually, yeah. to get away a little bit and have have a little reprieve from the training and, and that soccer environment to just get away and sort of be anonymous in the in the city a little bit um some of the obviously after the the, the the first spell you went back to the states two years later you were back again um uh, reading your stats from that spell before six assists in the games you played in that spell um and some particularly high moments in regards to wins over manchester united and chelsea and I was reading an interview you did earlier today where you said that, you know, I don't think there's many footballers in the world who could say that they, they had t- two wins over sides like that in the space of 10 days. Um, would you say that was your, your high point in regards to results? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, the, the beauty of the time I was there was we had some really incredible high-profile matches. Um, but the thing about the second spell, so the first spell when I came in, um, <clears throat> We haven't spoken about him yet, but Phil Neville was was a big influence on mm. on everything that happened with me there. And the first spell when I came in, the, the club were really doing well, um, or relatively well, and and were were in a good place in the standings and doing well. Um, I remember the first day after training, I thought I had trained really well. I was really excited after my first training session, and I walked into the locker room, and Phil Neville said, "Landon, why didn't you train today?" Were you injured? We didn't see you out on the field. So um, he uh, put me in my place right away. But then the second spell, um, the team were struggling quite a bit down near the bottom of the table. And when I got there the first day, (laughs) Phil Neville said to me, what the fuck are you doing here? Why would you come back to this? We're awful. And um, so it was a different different environment at that time, a little bit of a down mood in the locker room. And Mm -hmm. I think probably seeing a, a familiar face who hadn't been around for a while was probably a little bit uplifting for the guys to yeah. have something fresh yeah. and different in and someone who had been there before but hadn't been around for a while. So it was nice that we were able to get on a little bit of a run at that point. And, and like you said, just playing against those types of teams would be special. But um, those Goodison nights where you'd play the late game and it was dark and cold and we beat some really good teams during that stretch and those are the probably four or five of those are you know top 10 games i ever played in my career as far as the memories go 
from your second spell, your debut, your second debut, if you will, was against Bolton. And I imagine a lot of people going to the ground would have been expecting you to, to, to net on your debut that night. But it was actually uh, your compatriot who scored <laughs> that game. I mean, is that is that one of the most bizarre things you've seen on a football pitch? Tim Howard banging one in from 90 yards? I, I mean, I, when it happened, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was one of those where you, you see the ball go in the net, but you still don't really know what happened. You know, and you're trying to figure out what the hell just happened because it was the winds were swirling that night. So on one side of the half, the ball would would swirl one way, the wind would go one way, but once it like literally once it crossed midfield, it would it would whip back the other way. So he yeah. he just hit a ball high in the air and it carried and carried and carried. And I have never been a part of a game where a goalkeeper scored <laughs> until that day and never since. That was the only one in my career. Um, it was a pretty cool moment. It, it sounds like you had a, a quite a close relationship with Tim, uh, obviously for the national team as well. Uh, it, was he always a, a friend and obviously played a massive part in you coming to the football club as well? Uh, is he somebody you remain friends with to this day? Yep. He's just he's a great human being, first of all. Um, and he you know, picked me up from the airport. Um, when I first... When I first arrived, he took me to training every day for the first few weeks until I had a car. He spoke to me constantly about what to expect. And then just having that in the locker room, if you feel like you're a little um, <clears throat> distant and you don't really know people, having someone there at any moment to walk over and sit down next to and talk to is really important. And he he did everything I would have ever wanted as a, a compatriot and a friend when coming into a new place like that that could have been so intimidating. Was the... Was, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, he, he was... No, I mean, he just... He could not have been better in that way, and that was a big part of why I was able to have some success there. It, it sounds like that was the sort of theme that ran throughout the, the dressing room back then, Landon, uh, under David Moyes, and... You know, it, it's something that we often discuss on our shows about how Moyes was a certain character and you've explained sort of the, the nature of who he is and, and how he's, he's very different to any coaches that you've known previously. Yet, in, t in terms of the, the team environment and the team spirit amongst the players, it, it seems like that was generated... Was it generated of its own accord, really? Or did, did Moyes have a profound effect on that as well? Because it sounds like they're very different entities. Yeah, no, they were, and and it was a good mix because Phil, Phil, Tim Howard, uh, Cahill, those were the guys who kind of set the tone within the locker room, and it was fun and it was lighthearted, but they also knew when it's time to work, it's time to work. And so Moyes could be serious and at times grumpy and at times a little... You know, a little, a little, uh, a little mean in the way he went about things, but the guys were able to have fun and joke and 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 make sure that we enjoyed what we were doing, um, but also very professional. And and when it was time to work, it was time to work. So it was a really good mix. But that was set within the that culture was set within the locker room mainly by Phil, uh, Tim Howard, and and Cahill. Uh, Landon, uh, just a, a couple of questions, and then we'll we'll let you get back to, to your morning. Um, one of the things that we, we've spoken about quite a lot on on our shows, and we we have a regular contributor from the states in Rob Vera, and he speaks a lot about Everton's awareness. And 
one of the things that we've, we've discussed a lot is Everton's sort of status over in the United States compared to other clubs. And I'd just be interested to get your thoughts on, besides you know simply becoming a better football team or or going over to, there to, to play in pre-season, which the club's not done for a while, what sort of things do you think the club could do to, to get more of a foothold in the United States? There are, there are a few things. Obviously, having an American player on the team um, is a is a big way to do it. Uh, the the <clears throat> challenge with Everton is that they don't in America, but through American eyes, they don't have the history or sort of the sexiness of the teams in London, mm-hmm. and so you know Arsenal, Tottenham, and then the Man Uniteds, Man City now. They haven't been able to spend the money to bring in the superstars in the way that those other clubs have. So that in that way, it's been it's it's hard for them to make a massive dent in this market because if you grow up a soccer fan and you turn on the TV, <clears throat> you're always watching Arsenal or Tottenham or Man United or City or Chelsea, and so it becomes very difficult to to make a dent that way. Um, so having a, a either a big superstar period or a superstar American player uh, is one way. Mm. Um, and then aside from that, it's being successful, right? So if they had a run like Lester did a few years ago, um, that would certainly help. Now, I don't see a ton of Lester fans around, but they certainly grab the attention of the American casual soccer fan or sports fan. So those are two ways that would help. Um but it, it takes time, and if, if they really want to invest the resources and time and energy to do it, they could certainly make a dent. They've got many former players here that played at Everton um, that are happy to happy to talk about what what that club is and what it means, and and you know we're doing that naturally and mm. promoting it naturally. But um, they they could they could certainly invest resources to to make that impact even deeper and as someone you know yourself now is invo- involved in, in football ownership what do you think in that regard that maybe the club didn't utilize people like yourself and, and tim a little bit more because i mean i imagine if you were looking at a club you're invested in now and you had a, a landon donovan or, or a tim howard on your books you'd be looking to to use them in, in that regard as well i mean do you think the club tapped into the potential that, that you two had in regards to the u.s market enough yeah probably not and again, the, the, the difference is in, in America, we have, you know, the ability to market and promote is sort of what Americans do and do mm. well. In England, it's all about the football, right? It's all about what happens on Saturday, and which as a player, I love. Uh, to me, it's, it's, it's all about that. You don't go to the game and see people on their phones or talking to each other or they're watching the game. And I love that. So, um, but there is a way to to divert a little bit and to start to learn um, from what we do do well in that way in America. And they, they certainly could have done more of that. I think that would have been prudent, but mm. I don't blame anyone. It was, it was about, it was about doing well on the field and, and that's what mattered most. Just to finish off London, um, do you watch a lot of the team now? Do you see Everton a lot over in the States? I do. Yep. And what are your views on how we're doing at the moment? Um, it feels like we've had a few seasons where 
things have been quite difficult. Um, but now, I think, well, considering how well last season went in certain parts of it, certainly towards the end, victories against some big sides, it looks as if now there's, there's a positive foundation in place for us to kick on again. Yeah, it's hard for me to know and to say because I'm not there every day. Mm. Um, the one, the one thing that I think is noticeable is the club has spent a lot more money on bringing in quality players, which is what I think the fan base has wanted for so long. And with new ownership, that's been great. I think what's still lacking a little bit is a real identity around what the club is when when Moyes was there you knew exactly what you were getting from the club and you knew what the club identity was so I think they're still trying to find that sometimes it's hard when you bring in over the course of a few years 10 or 12 or 15 new players it's hard to develop that that identity and I think that's what the club's missing a little bit are they trying to be like a top six club or are they trying to be that next level um, below that, but make sure you're always finishing seventh or eighth. Um, I think they're trying to understand what they're trying to be and if they can get into that top six and, and how they make that happen. And just very finally, Landon, obviously there's talk of Everton moving to a new site at Bramley Moor Dock in two or three years' time. Uh, are you going to try and get over and see a game at Goodison Park before the club potentially move on? I think that's uh, 100% yes. Uh, <laughs> that that place is so special and um, sad to see sad to see it go if it goes but uh, it's just so many special memories there and for the people who have spent decades at Goodison every Saturday watching their club um, I, I was just it was an honor for me to be able to, to step foot there and, and hopefully bring some smiles to people's faces yeah, well, you certainly did that during your time in Royal yeah. Blue London. Um, thanks very much for, for giving us your time today, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again very soon. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors, and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years, with a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices? Do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota hybrids. Find yours at toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY 2000 through 2021 sales. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.